Well, um, I am happy to be here. Um, I am thrilled, in fact, to be here. Uh, and I promise you that I will not punch first. <laughs> That's what y'all doing right here? Y'all punching? <laughs> I might. I don't know. Maybe I'll punch second. I don't know. It depends on what you do to me. I don't know. <laughs> Why don't we open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into God's word. Father, we are grateful, truly grateful for this opportunity, Lord. Um, to grow in Christ-likeness. I pray, God, that today, we pray, Lord, that you would um, move us beyond ourselves, Lord. Uh, we get in our way, our own way, in so many ways, Lord. Uh, our, um, we want to do right, but oftentimes wrong is with us. We want to be more like Jesus, but oftentimes we find ourselves in our own way and stumbling over our own attitudes and egos. Help us, O oh Father, um, to decenter, to be decentered, and to see Christ as the center. And may he be our all in all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, um, <clears throat> so today I want to talk a little bit about um, hopeful, hopeful perspectives for hard conversations. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, how we might navigate this particular time we're living in as Christians um, in a way that honors Christ, in a way that's conspicuous in its uh, lifting up of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've been called to be salt and light, right? And that means that in the face of darkness, we've got to show up as light. And in the face of moral decay, we've got to show up as, a, as, as salt, as a preserving agent. And so we cannot do business like the world does it. We've got to look different. We've got to act different. We've got to respond different. And so I'm going to, by God's grace, I hope that uh, we will get some, some strategies for being able to do that together. It's, it, it, I hope you all don't mind me just kind of remarking. It is so interesting to be able to see people so close together again. <laughs> you know? I, I'm so used to seeing folks like way out. Just, a couple, just about a week ago, I took my, the first plane trip that I've taken in a year just a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and y'all, and let me tell you something. I don't know what Delta doing. I don't know what United's doing, but Southwest is putting everybody right next to each other. And, I, <laughs> I was, and so, you know, they pass out the, 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 the peanuts and all of that kind of stuff. It was interesting because I had my mask on, and I'm like, and I was thinking about whether or not I wanted to eat my peanuts. <laughs> but I had to, like, pull my mask down to eat it, so I was just kind of like, you know, we were doing this alternating thing, you know, me and my neighbor. So uh, it is fascinating to see everybody. Oh, just to let y'all know, I am all vaxxed up. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Celebrate with me. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we ought to have vaccination parties. And, uh, and, if, and I got, I, so I got Pfizer. Praise the Lord. And, uh, but who is Moderna, all right. <laughs> it's, it's almost like basketball teams, like Pfizer, Moderna. You know what? what are you play. If I could have got all three of them, I would have got all three of them. <laughs> Get all my bases covered. All right. Uh, if you've got a copy of the scriptures here, uh, turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. By God's grace, uh, this is a psalm of ascent um, that was written by David and about David, about God's people during that time. Psalm 133, this is God's word, a song of a sense of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life, forevermore. So this, this psalm picks up during the time of David. And you all kind of remember um, what it was like, um, what the scriptures talk about uh, it being like leading up to the reign of David. Right? Uh, you all remember the period of the judges, right? When everybody did what was right in their own eyes and there was no king, right? Uh, amongst God's people. God's people had come into the promised land, and they had come in uh, as, as, a, as a nation of God's people, but they were various tribes. And throughout the period of the judges, uh, the tribes began to see themselves 
in distinct cultural ways. And they had, and by the end of the book of Judges, there is a complete all-out civil war in which God's people almost destroy one another. You all, if you all kind of remember, remember that, that's kind of what happens. And so um, when the Lord raises up a, a king, uh, King Saul, uh, and Saul rebels against the Lord, and the Lord raises up another king after his own heart, King David, there is a, a, another conflict between the house of Saul and the house of David. Right? And so this, this passage picks up during an, a, a time of intense national and cultural polarization. And I know that we are living now in a time of national, uh, intense national, cultural, racial polarization, but I would submit to you that 2021 didn't have nothing on 1000 BC. I mean, these folks were killing each other. These folks were, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was all out warfare between the various tribes of God's people. And so this, the, the scriptures are written, this particular scripture is written with a mind toward a society and a culture that's dealing with the very same things that we are dealing with, okay? And I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. I want you to understand that the scriptures are relevant for our situation today. They have something powerful to say to us today, and they have a way of changing us so that we might live as salt and light in our situation today. So God's people in this passage have really increasingly segmented themselves into kind of ideological and cultural silos, right? They had their own chat rooms. Amen. <laughs> they, had, they, they had their own silos where, where, where certain tribes were listening to all of the radio from that tribe, right? They were reading all of the podcasts, listening to all the podcasts from that tribe. They were getting all the news from that tribe. And so, and so they really were in ideological silos, and, and they, weren't, they weren't actually listening to one another. They weren't really coming together in, in a way that God had called them to. And, they, and, and their listening uh, only reinforced their beliefs about one another, right? Uh, they only had friends on their side of the political aisle, right? And, uh, and, and suspicion and hostility grew as they increasingly viewed every national event, not only through a gospel lens, but through the lens of their ideological grid, from their partisan faction. They viewed everything through the lens of the media that they heard. And so the Bible is not surprised about our situation. The Bible knows about our situation and speaks into our situation. And it's not surprised that we are not excited about unity. I want you to, I want you to, uh, to, um, to look at what it says here. It says, the very first line here of this, of, this, uh, of this psalm is, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, the word behold, a Hebrew hine, repeat after me, hine. All right, good. He nay. He nay means, as I said, behold. But in Scripture, what it really means is check this out. You will never believe this. OMG. Right? It, it, it's, it, it's like, it, it actually, you know, you all know that emoji that's got like the mind blown emoji, like where the head is just shattered into a thousand. It's like that. It's like, man, my mind is blown. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's almost as though the Bible um, has to tell us that it's actually good for us to be together. Because our natural disposition, our natural default, is to believe that it's not good to dwell together. That it's not good to dwell together. It assumes that we're going to have some, some issues, that we're going to have some divisions that we're going to naturally have some polarization. And so the Bible has to remind us, hey, it's actually good for you to dwell together with people that don't actually think just like you do. That don't vote just like you do. Amen. All right. The Bible has to remind us of this. And look, and listen, here's the thing. We will only be conspicuous as God's witnesses when we begin to cherish unity where the world does not. Right? You know, it's interesting. Uh, we can look at our we can look at our, our news sources. We can look at um, you know even our even our a lot of the political rhetoric coming out of Washington and 
this, that, and the other around our culture. And, 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 and you know, there are not that many people that, that are saying, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. That's not what they're saying. They're saying the exact opposite, aren't they? They're saying, behold, how good and pleasant it is when our political faction dwells together in unity. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when you vote like we vote in unity. When you spend money on our causes in unity. When you look at our networks in unity. Right? But, but, but the Bible is saying how good and pleasant it is when brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters that are under God's banner, brothers and sisters that are called out from every tribe and nation and tongue, when we dwell together in unity. When we dwell together in unity. So I want to lift up a couple things here from this passage. First of all, I want to talk a little bit about the significance of our unity, and then I want to talk about the source of our unity, and then I want to talk about the speech around our unity. First, the significance of our unity. Look at what the scripture says here. The, use, the Bible uses two analogies to talk about our unity. It says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. That's the first analogy that it uses. We remember that Aaron was chosen to serve as a priest before God and, uh, and to signify and to confirm God's choice of Aaron as a priest. The, uh, uh, Aaron was anointed with a special holy oil. And this oil was made of myrrh and cinnamon and sweet calamus and cassia besides olive oil. And it, it, it was a special mixture with a special aroma that the Israelites could not use for any other purpose. So this wasn't just your standard olive oil. This was like CK1. This was like Aqua Digio, okay? This was, this was, this was, this was the, I mean, yeah, this, this was the best smelling stuff in the ancient Near East, okay? And I mean, I'm sure that there were some folks that wanted to get some of this, and they wanted to make, you know, because this was a, this was a, this was a, a particular smell, and it was the very thing, listen, beloved, this was the very thing that God commanded that, that Aaron be anointed with, and the other, the other, um, the other uh, um, things that were used in worship were meant to be anointed with this as well. And the Israelites couldn't, couldn't produce this fragrance or use it on any mundane thing because, listen, listen to this, it was the fragrance of holiness. Whenever they smelled this particular smell, whenever they smelled this particular aquadigio, they were like, they were, they, they were meant to think this is a holy place. This is a holy thing. It was meant to remind them of the Lord God. This was, this was the smell of holiness. It was meant to remind them of God, and, and, and it was the sweet savor before the Lord himself. And here's the thing. By likening unity to this oil that runs down Aaron's robes, the scriptures are telling us that, that unity, the unity of the people of God, smells like holiness. The unity of the people of God smells like holiness. If we want to be distinct in this world, right, if we want people to know that, that Jesus Christ has really come into this world and he's really made a change in, in us and, and amongst us that we don't see happening out in the world, it, and, and if we want people to really see that we are walking in holiness, then, then it will be seen as we are unified with one another. It smells like holiness. It smells like holiness. You know, there's, there's something distinct about God that is being communicated only as we are unified with one another. Because one of the most fundamental realities that God reveals to us about himself is that God is unified with himself. Right? God is Trinity. Right? He's the triunity. Okay? Uh, three in one. Right? And, 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 and God, and one of the very uh, most fundamental declarations that the Lord's people were to say back in the Old Testament was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is that's exactly right. And so when we're unified, we communicate something about God himself, okay? Now, here's the thing. What that means is that when we do something that undermines unity, we are rejecting something fundamental about God himself. That's why God takes it so seriously when we do things to blow up unity, when we resist unity. When we, when we make comments and we have attitudes and we, we have postures that, 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 that kind of lean out of unity, God takes that deeply serious. Because when we do that, we are, we are actually rejecting not just our brother, but we're rejecting God himself. 
Not just this person made in God's image, but through this image, we're rejecting God himself. You know, it's interesting. Um, so, you know, think about this. If somebody came into your house and they went around your house and they, and they located every picture of you in your home and they, um, and, and they took uh, their Sharpie and, and, and they sort of colored up in the eyes and they put little crazy devil horns on your head and, 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 and put, you know, mustaches on you where you didn't have a mustache and did all those kinds of things and start crossing you out. And then they left it all out around your home. You and you came home and you saw this. You would not say, this person has a problem with Polaroids. No. That's not what you would say. You would say, this person has a problem with me. This person has got a beef with me. And so, when, so listen, your neighbor, your diverse neighbor is made in God's image. And when we do things to demean them, when we do things to, to be out of step with them, when we do things to, be, to, to bring disunity with them, God looks at that and he says, that's not just about the neighbor. They, they don't, it's something about me that they are rejecting. And so God takes it deeply serious. This unity stuff is not just, uh, it's not just like, uh, you know, uh, a little extra add-on to your Christianity. This unity stuff is something that Jesus prayed for in John 17 before he went to the cross. Listen, when it, when, it, when, it, when, it was, when it was only hours before him to be, to, to be arrested and taken away and tortured and brutalized, Jesus, every moment, every hour was crucial. And Jesus took the time before he went to the cross to pray for our unity, to pray that we would be one as he is one with God the Father. And, and, and so what that tells me is Jesus is serious about this. He's going to, 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 to shed his own precious blood and not just die, but to suffer and to heave and to be brutalized and to sweat and to pant and to gasp and to finally give his life, not just to purchase your salvation, but also to purchase our unity. So the unity that we have in Christ, beloved, is blood-bought unity. And when we sin against our unity, we actually sin against the blood of Christ himself. That's how important it is. That's how important it is. You know, there's another, um, there's another analogy that's used here. The analogy is the dew of Hermon, that, that uh, it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's interesting. I need to find a chair. I just feel strange if I keep putting my Bible on the ground. Can I get to keep it a little higher? I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's anything just unholy about putting the Bible on the, you know, the ground. But I guess I just, I'm afraid I'm just going to be walking around and step on it or something. That's just, and that wouldn't be good, okay? So y'all just, uh, y'all just bear with me just a second. I'm going to get a Bible that's on seat right here. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so, so the dew of Hermon, right? So, um, you know, so, so, you know, um, the mountains around Jerusalem are really tall mountains. That, and, 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 um, and so, uh, you know, they're, they're actually, there's actually snow on some of those mountains, okay? And um, in, during times in which, uh, summer times in which it's extremely hot in the ancient Near East, there were regions around those mountains that depended on the, uh, the precipitation that came down from the snow-capped mountains. And so this was a situation in which, in the midst of, of a time, in the midst of a climate in which um, uh, the people were dependent, uh, uh, the, it was really hot in there, and there was nothing else that could really feed that vegetation, the dew of Hermon would actually feed that vegetation and bring life to the people that otherwise wouldn't be there. And when it says that our unity is like that, it is saying that our unity is actually the context of flourishing, that, that, in, a, that in the midst of a, a polarizing climate in which, uh, it, you know, uh, uh, it, there's barrenness, there's pressure, there's, there's, there's death all around, it's unity that actually allows us to flourish. What he's saying is that we can't do this without each other. We cannot do this without each other. We cannot go it alone. We cannot go at all. You know, at, at, the end of, um, at the end of the book of Judges, at the end of the book of Judges, 
the tribe of Benjamin, you know, they had really messed it up. You know, the tribe of Benjamin had done some horrible things, and the whole nation had come out against them and, uh, and, and actually defeated them in battle, and they almost were erased. They were almost extinguished. But at the end of the book of Judges, the people of God lament because they're like, you know, we, we don't want one of, the, one of the tribes of Israel to be extinguished. We, we can't be the people of God if one of the tribes are extinguished. They, they understood that we cannot do this without this tribe, even this tribe that has done these terrible things. Even this tribe that messed up bad, even this tribe, we've got some long-standing beef with this tribe, some legitimate beef with this tribe, but we know that as the people of God, we've got to stand together. We've got to find a way to be together. And so as you think about, I want you to think about brothers and sisters in Christ now that you might disagree with on a whole host of things. And I want you to look at them in your mind's eye, and I want you to say, you know what? I can't be all I need to be in Christ without that person. There may be some things they see about Jesus that I don't see about Jesus. Even that person. Even that person. Here I am as an African-American man. I am the descendant of people who were brought over in the transatlantic slave trade, people who were tortured and brutalized under that slave system. And I still, and, 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 and as a, as a, as a person, as a Christian um, that has been able to, you know, dig into the resources of our faith, I've got folk on my shelf like George Whitfield, who advocated for the legalization of the slave trade in Georgia. Slavery wasn't legal in Georgia until George Whitfield got involved. Right? And I could read George Whitfield, and I can say I repudiate, I repudiate everything about the slave system and everything and all of that mess in his mind, all of that was wicked and wrong and evil and, and, and resulted in a whole lot of bad things for, for my ancestors, right? But there are some things that George Whitfield knew about the Lord that I can benefit from, right? And so we ought to be able to have that kind of posture toward one another and say, hey, look, I don't agree with all the, the bad stuff that you're doing or that you think, are the injustices that you carried out, but 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 if you are named, if you if if we share uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, there's still some things I can learn from you. I can't make it without you. We've got to go together. We've got to go together. You think about this. Um, so Jesus has around him Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. Matthew the tax collector. Now, for those of you who don't know. Tax collectors were considered to be cultural sellouts. For the, people of, for the people of Israel who were oppressed by the Romans, tax collectors were doing the bidding of Rome. They were, they, were, they were collecting taxes from their own people. And a lot of times they were extorting their own people. And so everybody looked at tax collectors like, man, you are the worst sellout. You are the worst kind of person. Okay, And so... So, so nobody wanted to be around tax collectors. On the, on the other hand, you had zealots. Zealots were known to carry knives, and if they could get away with stabbing a Roman soldier, they would. That was, that was the zealot. And when Jesus, calls his, when Jesus calls his apostles, he says, I'm going to get a tax collector and a zealot. I'm going to put them around me. And now, now, you know, now I, I need to say this now. Jesus called Matthew away from his tax collecting booth, okay? So he didn't leave him in his tax collector extortion, okay? He called him away from that. But the idea is that he, had, he took some people that formerly would have been at each other. Simon, if he had gotten a chance, would have probably stabbed Matthew before he met Jesus. But they got together. <laughs> I love you, my sister. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I love for you know, you know, teaching is dialogical. You know, it's call and response. I appreciate that. You just keep right on. You helping me? I feel I love that. Yeah. They, so they, so they would have been at each other, but in Christ, in Christ, they were able to be together. Do you all know the story of of, of Philemon and Onesimus? Now, Philemon is this little book in the Bible, and it's, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's just one chapter, you know, and it's the kind of book that, man, you know. Um, I don't think we preach from it enough, you know, but um, we, we, there's, there's this man who, who lived in, uh, in, in Colossae, this ancient city, and, um, and 
his name was Philemon, and, and he was a slaveholder, and his household was slaveholders. And, uh, and, and that was a horrible, dehumanizing situation. It was so horrible that, the, that one of the men that was enslaved by him, a man named Onesimus, escaped from Philemon's clutches, and he made it about 1,500 miles away to the city of Rome. Now, in the city of Rome, the apostle Paul was imprisoned. And somehow, Onesimus and Paul cross paths. And, uh, and Paul preaches the gospel to this escaped slave, this, this man, Onesimus. And he comes to faith in Christ. And, and, and he's discipled by Paul. And, and one day, Paul turns to Onesimus, and he says probably what must have been the most shocking thing in the world to Onesimus. He says to Onesimus, now, I want you to go 1,500 miles back to Colossae, to the very household that enslaved you. Now, that, now I, just, I, I hope that you let that sit with you just a minute, the, the, the gravity of that ask. That is a huge ask. I mean, that's like, you know, that's like, that's like, that's like Frederick Douglass escaping a plantation in, in Maryland and making it all the way up north to New York and making it into Canada, and he hears the gospel and comes to faith, and the man that disciples him says, I want you to go back down to Maryland to the plantation. That's where I want you to go. I mean, you know, that was a huge ask. And then according to the Roman law, Philemon could have had Onesimus tortured and killed because the Roman economy was built on slave labor. And, and escaped slaves, if they were caught, uh, the, 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 the slaveholder had, uh, had the legal right to have a person tortured and killed, even crucified. And so Onesimus knew that this would have been a huge risk going back. I've got, I mean, 1,500 miles. I mean, you made it. 1,500 miles? I'm free. I don't ever have to look at these people again. And, you know, he probably is thinking, Paul, can you send me to another church? Can you please? Is there any other city? I'll go to any, Laodicea, any one of them, just anybody. Corinthians, I'll go somewhere else. Don't send me back to this one. But Paul, but, but Paul was insistent. I want you to go back. I want you to go back to Philemon. Why? Because there are some things. There's some glory. Because here's the thing. There's some glory that will come to Christ only as Onesimus's and Philemon's come together. <clears throat> There's some glory that will come to Christ only as Onesimus's and Philemon's come together. Listen, the Roman society would never have been threatened. If Onesimus, had, if Onesimus had gone to only churches with other Onesimuses, that wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been a, 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 any kind of strange thing at all. And, and, and nobody would have been disturbed if Philemon's had just only gone to church with Philemon's. But when Onesimus and Philemon came together, and Philemon reads this letter that says, you're no longer to treat him as a slave, but as a brother, then that turns the whole Roman society upside down. That is a challenge and a witness that the world had to stand up and pay attention to. And, 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 that, and, that's, and that's the place where the gospel, wait a minute, the gospel gets into our politics. Come on, somebody. The gospel gets into our finances. The gospel gets into our social life. The gospel gets into our political ideology. Come on, that's what slavery was. It was a political, ideological, uh, economic thing. And, he, and here's Paul using these spiritual terms, no longer as a slave political category, but now as a brother spiritual category. He sticks these things together. And he says this political category of slave does not match up with this spiritual category as brother. And so you, Philemon, you must treat him as a brother. So, so, so I just, I, I lift these things up. To get us thinking and understanding and accepting and embracing the fact that the gospel has a lot to say about a lot of things that perhaps we may not have thought that it, that it had to speak about. Okay? And, and to show us how important it is that we be willing to really pursue unity in some practical, tangible ways. Okay? Now, it's really, really important that we understand not only the significance of our unity, but also the source of our unity also the source of our unity. Now, here's the thing. We cannot do this in our own strength. We really cannot. 
I mean, let me ask you, when is the last time you were able to keep your New Year's resolution <laughs> for a full 365 days? Yeah, right. Amen. Never. You know, we get to the first of the year every year and we just are so excited and we're so hopeful and this is going to be the year I'm turning over a new leaf and I'm, I'm going to do this, this and this and I'm going to do all these things. Right. And, and we and, you know, and, and, and we get one week into it, two weeks into it. Maybe we get a whole month into it. But if we do it real well, we get a whole month into it. But but uh, six weeks comes. And uh, it just gets real hard. And we find ourselves giving, us a day, giving ourselves a day off. And one day off turns into two, day off, two days off. And, and then two days off turns into two weeks off. And two weeks off turns into two months off. And before you know it, we have forgotten the resolution and we are on to something else. And we find a way to make that resolution again the next year. Okay? And that's how it happens oftentimes with us in our own strength. So we need, some, we need some Holy Ghost strength. Right? I, I, yeah, not just Holy Spirit. We need Holy Ghost strength, okay? That's a, that's a good King James. That's old. That's primitive. Bat- Holy Ghost. We need, we, need, we need the Holy Ghost strength to keep us unified, okay, and to bring us together in ways that Philemon Onesimus came together. Holy Ghost strength. And here's the thing. The scripture right here uh, I think lifts, gives us points, points to something about our unity. Now, let's go back to that first analogy again. It said here, it's like precious oil on the head uh, uh, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's interesting that our unity would be likened to the priesthood in Israel. The priesthood in Israel, right? So, so uh, when the people of God... Uh, saw that oil going on the head of Aaron, they were very hopeful because they knew that there was a mediator, someone to stand between God and them. They knew that that meant that they could live in the presence of God. That meant that they could be blessed by God because part of what the priest's responsibility was to do was to pronounce God's blessing over the people. Right. And to represent the people before God. So so just just so you all know, okay, prophets go to the people on behalf of God. Priests go to God on behalf of the people. Okay? And so when Aaron was being anointed by God, I mean by, uh, by, by Moses for service before God, the people knew there's a mediator to stand between us and God. There's someone that can go to God on our behalf that we might have life. And so that was a very hopeful, exciting thing for the Lord's people. And, and, and what, what the scriptures are saying is that somehow this unity is connected with mediatorship. And Jesus fulfills that in the garden uh, as he prays, not in the garden of Gethsemane, but as he prays his high priestly prayer to God the Father, he is praying for what? He's praying for our unity. So we know that we have a high priest that is, that is, that is, our, that is interceding with God on behalf of us that we might be unified. And now let me tell you something. You know, I might not be able to get a prayer through sometime, but Jesus can always get a prayer through. <laughs> Jesus can always, always, always get a prayer through. He really can. And, he, and we know what Jesus is praying about. He's praying about the same thing he was praying about in his earthly ministry, that we might be one with each other as he's one with the Father. So if Jesus is praying about it, and, we've, and he's given us the Holy Spirit that empowers it, the same spirit by which the whole galaxies were spoken into existence. Then you, then you mean to tell me that Washington has got more power than the intercession of Jesus? Come on, somebody. You mean to tell me that, 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 that the political partisan factions and, 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 and the, the institutions of this society has got more power than the outstretched blessing of Jesus Christ? Now, we are living beneath the blessing of our high priest. That, it, that's what the very last sight, and if you go look at the end of, uh, of, the, of the gospel according to Luke, the very last sight that the disciples saw as Jesus was ascending to the right hand of the Father was Jesus with his hands outstretched over them in high priestly blessing. That was the very last thing they saw as he was taken up. They saw his hands outstretched over their lives. So, and, and I want you to think about that. I want you to think that, 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 that the resurrected Christ 
who has, all, who has all power in his hands, who's got all authority in heaven and on earth in his hands, who stands above death itself, has his hands outstretched over the church today praying for our unity. What that means is that means we will be unified. We will be unified. It's going to happen. The, 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 listen, the, the John, the, the, the John the Apostle, who, who spoke the, the, the book of Revelation, he said, I saw a people from every tribe and nation and tongue. And I love it because John didn't say, you know, if you people get it together, maybe we could be a people of every tribe, nation, and tongue. If y'all can just really get beyond yourselves and start doing the right thing, then maybe we can make it. No, 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 no. John said, I saw this. I'm looking at the future, and I see the end, and I see that we are together. There are a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So, let, so I'm not talking about something that is a potentiality, something that is a wish, something that we just hope this might possibly work out. No, 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 no. John said when Jesus raised from the dead, that is a guarantee. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. So I want you to know, I, want you to, I, I, I needed us to feel that. I needed us to know that because as we pursue unity, we're going to get a lot of pushback. We're going to get a lot of backlash. It's going to, listen, it's going to, it's going to be draining. It's going to hurt sometimes. You're going to be misunderstood sometimes. You're going to mess up sometimes. You're going to have to really repent a lot. But you know what? Jesus gives us the strength and the security to continue moving forward. Christians, in other, in other contexts, uh, uh, actually it's in the Netherlands, Christians in the Netherlands are known as repenters. I love that. Repenters. So, so when, it comes, when, it comes to, when it comes to cultural matters, we ought to be known as repenters. If anybody is willing to say, hey, you know what, maybe I do got a blind spot, it ought to be Christians. We ought to be the first ones to admit, you know, because, you know, we're the ones that believe in that doctrine of sin. Come on, somebody. Come on, that's our stuff. That's our, that's our, that's our Bible that's telling us about sin, right? So, so if anybody can acknowledge that we got some problems in our heart and in our society and in the structures of our society, it ought to be Christians. And we've got to be known for having enough humility to be able to confess that freely in hope that Jesus is able to fix it in us in hope that Jesus is able to fix it. Oftentimes, I believe we are afraid to enter into conversations um, about issues of race, issues of gender, issues of class, because we are afraid that the problem is too big to fix, and we feel as though we are too guilty to heal. Amen. Come on. Yeah, I, look, look, look. I'm not just... So, so I, I include issues of gender because I'm, I'm a man. You know, and I, and I say, hey, there's a lot that, that brothers have got to repent for. Amen, amen, amen. I brought three for myself. <laughs> there's a lot that we've got to repent for. There really is. There is a lot of blind spots that we have, and we need our sisters to share those things with us. We need our sisters to share those things. We really do. You, if you don't believe me, you can look at the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs talks, opens up with talking about uh, uh, listening to the, the, the instruction of your father and the teaching of your mother. Why father and mother? Because there's some things that you're going to hear from your mom that, that your dad just don't see. And, 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 and you know, it's interesting. The book of Proverbs ends with a king listening to the wisdom of his mama. And what does she say to him? She says to him, speak up for those who, are, who, have, who have their rights trampled upon, for all who are, who are destitute. Speak up for them. Advocate for them. It took a sister to be able to say that. Somebody that understood cultural and, and, and gender marginalization. It says, now, son, when you become the king, don't forget people like me. For everybody who've got their rights trampled on. You speak up for them so because, because we need each other, and we've got to have the kind of humility that will listen to one another, okay? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit here about, uh, about, about speech, the speech of... So we've talked about here the, um, the significance of our unity. We've talked a little bit about the source of our unity. I'm going to talk a little bit about the speech that brings unity, the speech that brings unity. I'm going to lift up here... James 
I'm going to lift up a number of scriptures here, but one is I'm going to start with here is James 3.17. I feel like that if we, I believe that if every Christian just carried that one verse around with them all day long, we would just, we would look so different than the world does. If we would just carry just one single verse, James 3.17. This is what James 3.17 says. It's talking about, it's distinguishing the wisdom that is earthly, right, from the wisdom that is from God, okay? It's making that distinction. It's, it's saying, this is how you're going to know what comes from the Lord, and this is how you're going to know what comes from the devil. Because what comes from the devil can sometimes sound real good. I mean, it really does. We, we, we're not in this fallen state because what came from the devil didn't sound good. Right? Come on. He's been cra- I mean, the Bible says he's crafty. He's going to make it sound real good. And, and so James said, hey, look, I want you to know here's a checklist that you need to keep in your pocket so you can know what comes from God. It says, but the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. Pure. Pure, that word, uh, actually, the Greek word actually there means holy. It, it, it is set apart as God's. It, it, it is, and I would just say it is, it is biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom. When you hear something, when you hear uh, wisdom, okay, you need to run it through your mental checklist to say, okay, does this line up with what I know from God's word? Okay? And if it doesn't, you can chuck it. Okay? Now, I didn't say the person had to come quoting the scripture, but I'm saying does it line up with God's word? Okay? Is it, is it just? Is it righteous? Is it... Is it pure? Is it, you know, is it, is it, does it, you know, does it bring life to people? Is it, you know, is it loving? Uh, is it, is it, is it pure? Is it pure? You need, to, you need to run that through your checklist, okay? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean does it fit your political ideology. That just means is it biblical, okay? Now, you know, there's a real problem when we chuck wisdom that is biblical, but it don't fit with our political ideology. And you know what? People can see that clear as day. People can see that clear as day. We don't want to be looking like hypocrites out here, claiming to, to claim in Jesus' name and, 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 and claiming to be his ambassadors, but then we hear something that actually coheres with his word that we just kind of chuck it because it's not coming from the right source because we got our, our list of socially, politically approved sources. We don't, we don't want to do that. Okay? If it's coming from, if it, if it's come, the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. Now, here's the next thing. Then, peace, peaceable, peaceable. Does it, does it lean into creating peace, or does it incline me toward war? We need to run that through our, our lens, okay? I'm going to camp here for just a little minute here. Peaceable, does it lean into creating peace? Does it pursue peace with the others? You remember the Beatitudes? This is one of the Beatitudes, isn't it? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus says, hey, you want to look like God's child? Pursue peace. If you, want to, you really want to be known as, as being holy and walking, bearing the, the resemblance of God, pursue peace. Create peace. Listen to sources of wisdom that help you to want to lean into peace toward other people. So now, this is what I would ask you to do. This is, here's a way that you can put this teaching practically to use. Go to your, uh, your Apple playlist, your, your, go to your podcast app, and you look on there at the people that you listen to for your social commentary, and you run it through your lens, and you say, okay, is this person making me feel good about my diverse neighbor over here, here, and here? Or are they making me afraid of my diverse neighbor? Are they making, are they giving me, are they giving me ways to justify the suffering of my diverse neighbor? Are they making me feel good about myself in my, uh, in my inaction toward helping my diverse neighbor? You know, we have a whole lot of ways in which we can help ourselves feel good about our inaction. Come on, somebody, we do. We do. We are just like that lawyer that talked to Jesus when, uh, uh, that when, when, when he comes to Jesus, (laughs) you know, well, uh, What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus lays out some things for him. And, and then the scripture says, but justifying himself. 
He said, you know, love, Lord, your God, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor. Then, then the second is like unto love your neighbors as you love yourself. And then the Lord, and, and so, so Jesus had just given him his answer. Jesus gave him a Bible study. But the lawyer was so stuck in wanting to be uh, uh, unloving toward his neighbor that he wanted to justify himself. And that's what we often try, try to do. We try to justify our hard-heartedness toward our neighbor. We really do. And, we, and, we fight, and listen, there are people that make a whole career off of helping people justify inaction, justify hard-heartedness. There's people that's got, that's got a whole, hey, there's, shoot, I, I want to get into all the stuff, but there's a lot of media sources out here that's, that's just, cause that's, because it's, it's consumer. You know, this, people are buying it. Those are some of the most popular things out here. Ways for, for people to feel good about inaction, okay, toward helping their neighbor and, and coldness. But, but, but the wisdom from above is the wisdom that makes you want to see peace. Here's another thing. James says it's gentle. The wisdom from above is gentle. Boy. Okay, so then you go on Twitter. Come on, somebody. You go on twi- Twitter, and, uh, and I will say this. That there's not a lot of gentleness on Twitter, okay? It's just not what people are trafficking in, okay? Uh, people are trafficking in owning the other group, right? They're trafficking in shame and humiliation. They're trafficking in, you know, calling people names and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, and, and we don't want to do that. We have, traffic, we have people trafficking and labeling other people so that you can dismiss them, right? I mean, uh, I don't want to get into all this, but, you know, hey, I've, I've had lots of folks label me certain things, you know. Um, well, you must be blah, 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 blah. And if they say this about me, that means that they can kind of dismiss everything I'm saying, you know, because now I'm one of them. And polarization works that way. Polarization is us versus them. You know, and it's, can you see how the Bible, in calling us to, pe- to, be peace, uh, to be peaceable and gentle, how it is actually undermining polarization? It's actually addressing that? Because polarization works on us versus them. But what the Bible, in, in calling us to be peacemakers, is doing is saying, hey, don't be us versus them. You actually go to them, and, and, you, and you reaffirm that we are all us. So what you're doing is you're actually expanding our us. The Bible calls us to expand our us, Okay. Um, you know, this is, where, um, this is where Jesus got into trouble in his first sermon. You know, they tried to kill Jesus in his first sermon. Y'all know that, right? right? <laughs> they tried to kill, you know, I mean, right out of the gate in ministry. You know, you know I mean, just the very first sermon. And it was overlooked. And, and he was giving this talk. The talk I'm giving right now about, so, about, about, about race and stuff like that, they tried to kill him over that. That's why they try to get, you know, so he's, he stands up and he quotes the Isaiah scroll and, and, he, and he, he's announcing his mission as the Messiah. And listen, they didn't balk at that. They were excited about that. They, oh, man, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And they're thinking, hey, we the poor, preach good news to us. We, we're the ones you came for, yes. And, and they're so excited because they're like, the Messiah came from our hometown. And the Messiah is going to help our people and nobody else. And Jesus catches this. He sees it. He sees what, this, what they're really about. You know, he sees that this is, this is actually Christian nationalism. This is actually us about our own ethnic interest alone. And so Jesus begins to show them God's grace to Naaman the Syrian. And they didn't like that. Because Naaman the Syrian was a Syrian general that actually was one of the kind of historic enemies of God's people. But God gave grace to Naaman the Syrian. He starts to show them God's grace to the widow of Zarephath, right? And, 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 the, wid- and the prophet goes to this widow outside the boundaries of Israel, and, and she's blessed by God. And, 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 when I, and when I tell you those people got mad, they went from celebrating Jesus, not just to being a little irritated with Jesus, but to trying to kill him, to grabbing him and trying to throw him off a cliff. Man, that was a switch. That was a switch that, you know, hey, it ain't easy to teach on cultural polarization, is it? If you really teach it. <laughs> I figure as long as I can make it out of here alive, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm ahead of the game. Praise the Lord. 
So, so you know, so this, so this, you know, it, it, the Bible, the Bible actually undermines that dynamic of cultural polarization. It undermines that dynamic of cultural polarization. Um, here's another one: open to reason, open to reason, right? Um, the Bible calls us to speech and attitudes and postures that are open to reason. Now, have you ever been in a conversation with someone that you knew wasn't actually listening to you? Or have you been that person? Nope. Yes, we have. Yes, nope. we all have. I, I have been that person. When you are you're talking to somebody and they're talking, but what you're really thinking about is what you're going to say as soon as they shut their mouth. You're like, as soon as she be quiet, I got, I'm going to say this, then I'm going to say this, then I'm going to say this. Right. And you're not really listening to that person. You're not really present with that person. You are really checked out. Your eyes might be on them, but you are really checked out because you think about what you're going to say. And you have missed the opportunity to actually love that person when you're not present with that person. And you're not actually open to reason. Okay, When you're not present with other people, you're not you're not you're not willing to have a real dialogue. You're just really using that person to have a kind of a monologue. And oftentimes we're doing that with one another. And I want to, I just really want to encourage us to find ways to have genuine dialogue and not just use people for our own opportunity to just share a monologue, you know. Um, and and, so, and one of the, some of the ways in which we could do that is we can, we can really demonstrate humility and just, and just listen and ask questions. Ask questions. You know, I find it amazing how much God listens to us. You ever thought about that? God is omniscient. God knows your thoughts from afar off. God, I mean, if, it's, if it would be anybody that would have the, that would be able to say, can you just stop talking? I'm going to do all the talking. It would be the Lord. But the Lord has this thing called prayer, in which he says, <laughs> when he says, I want you to talk. Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. I want you to talk. And I'm going to go through the process of listening to demonstrate something for you. Oh, man, that is amazing. And sometimes God's people say some off-the-wall things to the Lord. <laughs> Come on now. Have y'all ever, wait a minute, hold on a second. Y'all don't believe me? Turn to Psalm 22. Turn to Psalm, just, I just want to show you something. Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22, I just want to show you how Psalm 22 Come on, come on now, open up, open up for me. There we go. Okay, okay. Now, I, I just want you to check this out. Look at the first few verses here. I want you to see now, now this says, it says here to the choir master, according to the door of the dawn, a psalm of David. Now, we know that Jesus himself actually quoted this psalm when he was on the cross. In that moment, Jesus had been, Jesus had been given over. He had been given over to the curse of sin and death, okay? And, 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 and so he could truly say that God had forsaken him. But David, on the other hand, <laughs> come on, somebody. <laughs> David had not been forsaken by God. But look at what God allows David to say. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Okay, and he goes on like this. Let me, he goes on like this for 19 verses. Night, I mean, 19 verses before this thing turns around. 19 verses, the Lord just allows him to just pour it all out. I mean, David is talking about how God saved other people but didn't save him and all this stuff, okay? And, 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 and what God is showing is he's showing the ability to empathize and to be a compassionate listener and, and, and how, how a relationship can be furthered by giving someone the space to really pour out their lament. And God is not intimidated <clears throat> by David pouring out his lament. And sometimes, beloved, we've got to create space for others to be able to pour out their lament. 
and not feel like we're losing something. Because oftentimes in conversation, we just we feel like, well, I'm not giving them an inch. Because if I give them an inch, I might lose. And we have got to be more concerned with winning people than winning arguments. Right? And the Bible said, he who wins souls is wise. It didn't say he who wins arguments is wise. It says he who wins souls is wise. So we've got to be concerned with winning people and creating the space for them to be able to pour out their lament. We, fight, well, let's, we have to, you know, here's, 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 one, here's one way you can be different and I can be different in our engagement with others. We can, we can be open to reason in, in going to people and saying, hey, somebody that's different than us. And we can say, hey, what is it like for you to walk in your shoes? And, and, and you know what? And, 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 and you just say, hey, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to have my five reasons for why I don't think you're right. And why I disagree with you, I'm just going to listen because I love you enough to, to, to try to understand where you're coming from. You know, what people can give to you in that moment is they can give you a better insight on how to love them well. That's a, that's a major gift. To have somebody be able to say, hey, this is where I'm coming from. And you might not necessarily agree on all of the reasons why they say they're, they, you know, you ain't got to necessarily, we got to learn how to love people that we disagree with sometimes. Come on. And just listen. Just, just listen. It's not going to hurt us to listen. It, it, you know, listening is a part of discipleship. And so, we can give people that. We can give people that. God gives us that as a way to give others that, as a, as a model to give others that. Okay? And so we've got to be open to reason. And here's the last thing. I, I, I'm, I'm certain I'm out of time. What's my time? What am I doing on time? You're doing perfect on time. I'm doing perfect on time? Okay. Throw away the clock. <laughs> Throw away the clock. What is a clock? Well, here's a, here's a, here's a, a final thing I'm going to say here. Um, full of mercy, right? James says full of mercy, full of mercy. The question is, does it make me more merciful toward my neighbor again, or does it give me an excuse to opt out of mercy toward my neighbor? The wisdom from above is full of mercy, okay? The And here's the thing. We've got to find ways of not diverting the focus off of victims who are suffering in favor of other people who are suffering, right? Because what some, what times, sometimes what we'll do is, is when we really don't want to show mercy to somebody, we'll say, well, what about this person? They say, well, hey, you know, uh, you know, uh, my people or my group or my gender or whatever, we're suffering these things. And when I'm feeling kind of a little bit, you know, guilty about that and I really don't want to engage in this conversation, maybe I'm feeling a little bit defensive. I said, well, what about this over here? Well, no, no, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. And, 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 and this might be a legitimate issue. And we will get to that. But, but can you just sit with my pain for just a minute? Can you just give me mercy for just a minute? Right. And, and so 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 we, we need to we need to cultivate sources. We need to seek out sources that give us strategies to be full of mercy toward others. It, 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 it dawns on me. It strikes me that when Jesus comes and he separates the sheep from the goats, he separate he separates those who were following him from those who claim to be following him. But we're not. It comes down to who showed mercy. Did you notice that? Isn't that interesting? It comes down to who. He, yeah, it's amazing that Jesus comes and separates, oh, separates the sheep from the goat. He does not ask one single catechism question. <laughs> hey, somebody say, <laughs> somebody say, amen. <laughs> you know, and, and, and here's the thing. Now, I, I love the catechisms, okay? I love all of them. I love, you know, the shorter catechisms, the larger catechisms, all that stuff. I love all that stuff. But, but, but it's, it's interesting that Jesus does not ask those questions. He doesn't ask those questions. 
He, 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 he does not ask the question of orthodoxy. He asks the question of what we call orthopraxis. Your orthodoxy, your right belief, must show up in merciful action. And when Jesus tests your right belief, he doesn't test about what you say. He tests about what you do. Right? And so he says, uh, he gives them a test about when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And what we need, beloved, is we need to have sources of wisdom that equip us to visit the imprisoned, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry. Because those are the questions Jesus is going to be asking us about. You know, it's interesting. What are we doing if we're not getting people ready to meet Jesus? And we know what's on the test. He told us what's on the test. <laughs> he, he said, this is your study guide. Here it is. Right? You, you know, there are people that did all kinds of things. We drove out demons in your name, and we had a revival in your name, and we did all these wonderful works in your name. And he said, I told you I was going to be asking you about visiting folks in prison, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. I told you that's what I was going to be asking you about. And so tailor your curriculum accordingly. Tailor your sources that you, that you cultivate and listen to accordingly. Okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I know I'm over time, so <laughs> praise the Lord. Thank y'all for having me.